0: in rocky but it's like but he's got a heart of gold that (laughs) kid you know and it's like there is no like fantasy right and there's no heart of gold in french connection it's more just like (laughs) like watch out you might die you might have to kill um you're gonna get ripped off you can't trust anyone motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef
1: Welcome back to One Fucking Hour, uh, Episode Twenty Three. Uh, this is Evan Husney, uh, joined, of course, uh, with my two dudes here, Tom Fitzgerald. Tom, how's it going?
0: Not too bad. And uh, despite all rumors, One Fucking Hour is not dead. We just had <laughs> life. Life got in the way a little bit, but we're back, baby.
1: We're back, we baby. Are, we are. Uh, and back with Marcus Herring as well. What's up, Marcus?
0: What's up, guys? It's fun to be
2: here. Happy to be here today.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we did have uh, a little bit of uh, some some scheduling mishaps, uh, trying to align certain things. Sorry, our schedule's been a little sporadic the last few weeks, but we are back uh, in the saddle, and we're here for a big one. Um, And this, I should say, you know, uh, this was supposed to be last week's episode, which was going to be leading up to the Oscars for our Oscar Spectacular. Um, And of course... (laughs) (laughs) We picked uh, a a Oscar sweeper, uh, which is the 1971 film, uh, The French Connection, directed by William Friedkin, uh, because it's swept in its day. Um, But so, but uh, whatever, this is a huge movie for us here and uh, one, I think, that we've referenced several times on other episodes. So super excited to finally uh, get its uh, full hour here, full fucking hour. So. That's right.
0: Yeah. um, Yeah. Well, it, yeah, like you're saying, it's a cornerstone for us. I mean, yes, it's a it was it won really big in the Oscars for 1971. But it's also just been sort of totemic for us when we it's like when we talk shorthand when we were starting this thing months ago. Uh, you know, like um,
1: this uh, is it like
0: kind of all in accord, like uh, a jam, a monster, highly influential for lots of other films that we really like, you know. And um, but for me, I've been pondering its context in, in, in the Oscars. Uh, you know, Let me
1: start that clock before you get there because we're we are cheating. Um, all right, so uh, This fucking hour is on the French Connection. I'm going to start the clock. All right, everybody, and here we go. Tick-tack. Let me just tell the people a little bit about this movie. I'm sure everybody's already seen it, knows it, at the back of their hand. But French Connection is the 1971 groundbreaking film, as I said, by William Friedkin. The story involves a 32 million dollar shipment of heroin smuggled from Marseille. Uh, France to New York City hidden in a Lincoln Continental uh, after a complex import deal uh, between the French an American money man and the mafia is set in place um, but Jimmy Poppy <laughs> Sorry. Jimmy, Jimmy Poppy Jimmy Poppy, hey you know Jimmy Poppy yet? but uh, <laughs> Jimmy Popeye Doyle played by Gene Hackman is a tough cop man with a shaky reputation who busts street junkies and he needs a big win to keep his career together. So he randomly stumbles uh, upon this mega heroin deal and pursues it with a single-minded ferocity, constantly teetering on the lines of morality. So there you have it, Tom. But it's almost uh, like
0: Moby Dick or something. For yes. him, yes, yeah, you know, uh, or that he's Captain Ahab and you know the white whale, uh, you know, that white whale, uh, that it'll kill, and it'll kill him trying to get the, the you know that whale. But, uh, yeah, no, so anyway, I was saying a minute ago, you know, this is the Oscar uh, episode of One Fucking Hour. Oh, hey, yeah. hey. And uh, and we picked this, and I was just thinking, like, um, you know, okay, so it's 1971. It comes out. It wins in 72, and it really swept, like you were saying. I mean, um, tell me if I'm missing anything. It was Best Picture, Best Director, Best uh, Lead Actor. Um,
1: best Adapted Screenplay and Best
0: Edited. Yeah, it was. Right, exactly. Now, yeah. the joke about it, screenplay is uh, that um, it was all improvised. And like nothing on the screen was on any page, you know, so whatever, it's all good. But uh, yeah. So what I'm thinking is it won like real big. It wasn't like it was a year that was all split up between other titles, you know, like the Godfather won big, but then Cabaret won best picture, you know, the following year, for example. So I was just thinking like uh, where, you know, the best picture, the Oscars, that's at least then not so much anymore, but it was a very big deal and it heralded, um, you know, epochs, eras, trends of hollywood and, and and the movie going you know uh, audience so you know you watch this film and you're thinking like two three years before let's say three nothing even resembling this would have right. been maybe even made nominated win and so i think one of the best ways i look at this is just to Get out of the Oscar thing for a second. Is the story of New York City in film from about mid 60s to the early 70s? Now, I look at it like Breakfast at Tiffany's happens, and uh, Barefoot in the Park happens, okay? <laughs> and they're like, it's, it's, uh, and that show, That Girl with Margot Thomas, have you ever seen that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: So, this is the mid 60s. They're all sort of cotton candy, you know, like, uh, like, uh, Bright colored glaze haze of like this fairy tale land of New York City, you know, like a perfectly clean Central Park, you know, and uh, you know, and this that was that was the trend of like saying, "Hey, New York City is a location." And then Midnight um, Cowboy did come a year before, a year or two before right. uh, French Connection. It was it was dirty, but it still had, um, and I love it. I think it's a great film. It won Best Picture, and that was really the very beginning of clearly changes happening to Hollywood, as right. evidenced by the best, best picture winner. But yeah. it was it was and it was a dirty New York. But this film is just foul. It's just disgusting. And <laughs> yeah. it smell it looks like it smells and it's actually Blurry. closer. Yeah, and it's actually closer in its downbeat verite style of showing you the ugliest ways New York can be. It's almost like Andy Warhol's trash. Mm. I was just thinking about that. Same mm-hmm. uh, maybe a year or two. And so, anyway, this is all very big and unprecedented. And I was actually, I've been re-watching Mad Men, okay, as I want to, as I want to do. And I just think of every cast member or a character looking at uh, the best picture of the year. And like, you know, what would Betty Draper think? Like, she'd walk out, you know. Don Draper would love it. Peggy would love it. The younger people generally would love it. But like, um, a lot of people would just be so put off by this because uh, there's nothing to hold on to. The soul of the film, like we were saying before, it's not heroic. There's no good guys or bad guys. Kind of everyone's a bad guy, you know. Yeah. So so even the tone of the film and the philosophy of the film, but just the look. I was Mm rewatching it today, and it's just it. it, it, He focuses on ugliness, you know, and not just ugliness of like ghettos, but like you know, like fluorescent lit because it's all shot on location, like ugly fluorescent lit parking garages, you know. So. That and stuff. And
1: and, and and in the first two minutes of the movie, a guy gets shot in the fucking face. You know, it's like hello, you know, and that's how right, we start yep. off with this movie. And that's not something you'd see every day. But Marcus, what are you gonna say?
2: Oh, I was just like listening to Tom talk about New York City and and Mad Men got me thinking about like you know in that show you see it sort of the '60s and how New York sort of uh, deteriorates like you know from the you know from that magical <laughs> pretend magical era of the '60s and then by the end you. Right there's more police sirens and stuff. And my yeah. understanding of like, I'm not, I wasn't around in New York at this time, but my understanding of history at this time is that like New York was uh, like on the verge of bankruptcy and they were like defaulting on loans and having to like the strong arm, the teacher's union into like, you know, buying out bonds and stuff like that. And like New York really was uh, like, it, it was in the national news, like, you know, that they were oh, going to heart. default and it was going to cause a huge economic uh, destruction all over the country because of like just out of control New York yeah. like you know budgetary violence stuff so and
1: violence yeah, yeah. yeah. oh
2: the horrible yeah. violence
0: also yeah. just little things because you know I wasn't there either I don't know what the hell's going on but um, <laughs> there was a garbage strike or several and well actually no no you know what? let me put a button on my little stupid New York City like going through a little journey there's uh, I, I forgot to mention there's Midnight Cowboy. Which I I'm just saying I think there's a lot of things going on in that film that are and aren't about the ugliness of New York City, uh, but um, the Out of Towners, if you're familiar with that, Jack lemon and Sandy, just the remake
2: with uh, Goldie Hawn. Well, of
0: course, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to definitely do it one fucking hour. On yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, 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 yeah. The best that the '90s has to offer. No, 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 no. Well, hear me <laughs> out. So one uh, Out of Towners. Mm -hmm. Um, see it if you haven't seen it I I like it quite a a lot it's Neil Simon and and so it's only 1970 Mm -hmm. and it's still kind of cotton candy world because it is a big pop film and everything but like they get mugged there's political riots they get abused Mm -hmm. Um, there's like hints of uh, child molestation, there's um, rabid dogs there's starvation there's (laughs) rip-offs there's like I said there's muggings There's, um, you know, and a garbage strike. So all Mm -hmm. during the film, there's mountains of garbage in the rain. So that's only 1970. So what I'm saying is it was unheard of because let's just put it this way. Maybe America's soul was, um, you know, it loves California in the abstract sense of like the, you know, like the the beautiful golden West in the future of America. But like New York was this gem and it was this aspirational place. It was like the best that America could be kind of and like the mm-hmm. you know the industry you know what I'm saying so it's like to see these cracks or this rot it was developing but then I'm telling you I'd say French Connection and Joe which was a lower budget smaller independent film but a hit um, that and Joe are a one two punch of like this city is falling apart and by proxy America is falling apart and 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 morally so we can maybe change the subject and get from like what the film is about oh. too you know. I, I, before we leave New York, I, I
2: just wanted to add one more thing to that is that like, you know, a lot of times s- some movies like really get fetishized like the underbelly of New York, too. And it can become kind of like you find the prettiness and the grime. Like, I don't know, maybe cruising or something, too, or like uh, trying to think of another movie that like there's lots of sort of Main New Street's, York movies. Mean Streets is yeah.
0: kind of like Little Italy, you know. Like. Right, right.
2: Or like The Warriors or something. There's like there's some aesthetic quality to it that looks, looks cool. It looks like you this actually want to. A- want to be there but no this is like ugly, ugly? and like it's just yeah and just it, it doesn't it's not even distracting it doesn't really even like catch your eye like oh it's like you know it's just the uh, the movie's propelling itself so forward it's got this really ugly new york that is not distracting you or like grabbing your eye yeah it's yeah. Just really interesting how they did that yeah, yeah. um
1: <laughs> let's segue a little bit into a subject we covered a little bit on the cruising episode uh which is in the one fucking hour archives that's that's another freaking film Yep. Uh, is uh, just sort of William Friedkin's approach to his material, especially in the golden age of his movies. You know, when he's firing on all cylinders, you know, we talked about how he's kind of approaches these movies almost like method directing, where he immerses himself in the research right, and the real right. life people to, in order to gain, you know, authenticity and accuracy with um, this movie. Uh, but w- just one thing off, I've, I've Felt was just so old Hollywood. I had to just bring up is he got approached to do the movie by the uh, movie's producer uh, in the Paramount steam room. So he was like, you know, that's where they, <laughs> that's where they, you know, met. And uh, he, uh, the producer of the film, thought that uh, uh, Billy Friedkin would be perfect for this movie because of his documentary background.
0: Um, right. Well, which let's talk about that just for one second. Like, sure, there was the People versus Paul uh, Crump, right, which um, which turned a lot of heads. It was a documentary about. Um, uh, a black man who was uh, on death row. I haven't seen it actually. R- yeah. what was it death row? Yeah, yeah. yeah he was on death row. So that row, was yeah. A, yeah, that was a doc, and it made and you know and just not to hijack what you're saying, but just to uh, flesh out a little bit, he was coming from a very weird place when he entered Hollywood, yeah. when he entered into the, the um, uh, French Connection. He was half hired hand with strange pop films, and half uh, noted and respected, and it was an assault to do like hard black and white gritty verite. And he had, and he made a choice with the French Connection about where he was going because, let's just put it this way: one of the films he made before French Connection was a, uh, a musical comedy vehicle for Sonny and Cher, called Good Times. That's nuts, guys. It is. That's nuts. So anyway, so that's where he's at right there in nineteen as as he goes into seventy-one. But let me say, you
1: know, for him, uh, you know, and kudos to him uh, for realizing before embarking on this movie that he needed to really get a slice uh of life of what it was like in the underbelly of new york and so he uh embeds with um my old favorite guy we talked about him a lot on the cruising show randy jurgensen you know who's right. a real life uh, detective who shows up in this movie and is you know responsible for them getting is, away
0: with is a cameo in it too yes he plays like one the... of the police stations
1: He he plays the guy at the car garage when they're dismantling the car, and the guy's waiting. Yeah, and the guy's waiting for the car, and you see him there. Herb,
0: like, what are you doing to me here? Yeah,
1: Um, we'll watch that. (laughs) We will. Uh, But anyway, so so uh, he embeds with Randy Jurgensen, my man. He also embeds with the real life cops that the story is the real story is based on. Sonny Grosso and Edward Egan, and uh, they would take William Freakin around to these places, these bombed out heroin dens. He got a true view into the gritty underbelly, as I said, of New York City. But this is my favorite quote, just to give you a sense. This is what Randy Jurgensen said about uh, uh, about Billy. He goes, uh, "Billy saw arrests. He saw seizures of drugs and money. Billy went from uh, Billy went with us to court. When we spoke to criminal infor- uh, when we spoke to criminal informants, Billy was there. When Billy Freakin was ready to make the French connection about New York City detectives, Billy Freakin was a New York City detective." Wow. You know, so that's what he really From one saw. Of them. Because, yeah, yeah, because he yeah. literally was there for shakedowns, Great. everything. He was in the car rides. He put his time in for. I, I want to say almost a year. Like he put in some time. You know, on this. Yeah. Um, and so and and that really you know shows through obviously in the movie. He also talks about the documentary style, which we should segue into. Um, yeah. you know, he, he was really influenced by that movie Z by Costa Gavras, mm-hmm. which is a really mm-hmm. cool movie, by the way, and. He always picked up on that film the idea of when you're shooting in a documentary style it makes the audience and this is kind of obvious to us now but back then I'm sure it was more of a revelation is you you are seeing events as they're happening in real time rather than seeing something that has happened in the past like most formal filmmaking kind of evokes you know uh, there's yes, this immediacy right. to it right and tense, Holly- yeah. yeah there's like a, yeah there's like an immediacy and Hollywood crime movies didn't really have that you know and i think the coolest thing about not like it's 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 one thing just to have a handheld camera and to say oh, we're doing doc style you know mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the way that he approached actually pulling it off and i want to throw it to you guys here cuz this is just fucking amazing is he would rec- he would rehearse the camera crews separate from the actors so the actors had no idea what the camera, uh, uh, like blocking was going to be, and vice versa. Oh,
0: okay. So it was
1: literally all about, which is genius. It's all about the cameras finding the action, and the and without you know actually rehearsing. Yeah, it. and you can and, see and, that.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. In in certain moments, like um, well, like right up top after the the hit in France, when you first enter the New York City part of the film, when uh, Papa Gene Hackman, Papa Doyle is uh, Santa Claus. You know, they're kind of casing these guys across the street. It really feels like the camera. Is looking for the uh, point of action or the subject you know like that's exactly. oh, great you know it's so cool but uh and that we is have this, such a yeah we have a bit yeah. of a chase of that show clip in a minute but just one thing and I'll shut up is just uh, caught my attention as you were describing this all I hadn't, I've never really thought about this because again none of us are from that time which you know I wish there was a pill that was invented sometimes where like you oh. could experience uh, things for the first time that were also calloused and jaded about but what mm-hmm. I'm saying is um, the film was revolutionary, you know, we said, like, oh, it's so verite, but no, 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 I don't think audiences really even had seen or even knew any direct cinema, AKA no. cinema verite no. in any no. context. Like it wasn't like, you know, in middle America, it wasn't like, um, oh, this is reminiscent of, uh, you know, yeah. like, uh, the Maisel's brothers or something, you know? And so that was probably like implementing verite tropes, uh, was Martian to the yeah. average audience because they didn't even have any context of verite. They were like, what is happening? You know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm. So that's right. Sense. It's interesting. I think a lot of the, yeah, on the same token, like a lot of the sort of brilliant things about the movie could be like overlooked. I think like in hindsight, watching it again, because so oh, many oh, of yeah. its elements of style have been like, you know, sort oh, of yeah. like just yeah. become like just filmmaking in general, you know? Oh, and man. like, it's like, you don't, you just sort of like, yeah, I read a good quote. Someone said that you just absorb a film's, authentic- we, today we absorb a film's authenticity rather than just see it outright, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think at that time, people, maybe they, you know, I'm, I'm just imagining that the part of the reason it won so many Oscars is like the audiences back then were just like, they were really seeing all the attempts at, at, um, at, re- at realism and grittiness and just in general, it was just such a revolutionary thing. Thing that is, I think, a little bit lost today, you know, because it is just like a normal.
0: so much has happened, you know, so much has happened since French Connection. Um, so uh, it's lost some of that. I mean, you can, you can, you can sort of like you can intellectually understand it, but like, I bet the visceral impact, (sighs) like, like again, like um, Midnight Cowboy is awesome, and it has some doesn't really get that verite. Actually, the most verite Midnight Cowboy gets to me is the party the Andy Warhol-esque party that, um mm-hmm. you know, our, yeah. our two buddies go to. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest of the film is, it's pretty composed, you mm-hmm. know, and there's a lot of editing and, like, you know, uh, you, know you know, they're really setting their marks and, like, re- doing their dialogue. Mm-hmm. But this is, um, this feels like, you know what, what he tried to do was, like, hey, let's take the viewer on a ride-along like I did with these detectives, exactly. you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah.
1: And I think, I think just on what you were saying, Marcus, it's, like, this sort, That sort of signature, emblematic, gritty New York City feel, that sort of aesthetic, um, it feels like that's always been a part of movies, you know, like it's always no. there, but but it's but it's not, you know. <laughs> not it's at this all. Thing, and, 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 but <laughs> it's amazing. It's like, it's, it's like we think about all these movies, you know, obviously Taxi Driver, Mean Streets, all these movies that would
0: come later. Uh, the Superfly. Superfly, right after. I think Superfly. about Superfly a lot with French Connection, you know. Yeah, and that's what we said. Yeah, let's our, watch a scene. I, yeah, let's watch won't. a scene, maybe just—it's very yeah. brief. Just the uh, the Santa Claus chase. Yeah, yeah. yeah Just yeah. to give people an idea, this is the first sure. big moment sure. in, when they come to New York City. The first few minutes of the film. This is when this is when you're being introduced to your lead characters, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's brief. Unfortunately, the gods of YouTube have to uh, to have us uh, kind of castrate off some of these great long. Pieces that Friedkin does, but this is just a snippet, a little, the moil grabbed this much <laughs> for the YouTube <Eastern laughs> gods <laughs> of, uh, yeah, of the great <laughs> Santa Claus right. chase scene. Okay, here we
2: go.
0: I think of Main Streets sometimes goes here, and definitely Superfly. You know? Definitely. Which is a compliment to Superfly for having such good taste. Because totally. um, a lot of exploitation is pretty conventional. Kind of, you know, hit your mark and block it off and everything, but uh, Superfly went for it. And you know what's great about this style? You can have a really low budget and make a great film, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so to, that I mean, was revolutionary, but to some people now they're like, "What is it, Starsky and Hutch? You know.
2: Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. It just got absorbed into filmmaking. Yeah. The. Uh, the uh, I guess you know. It seems like. Uh, you know, I don't think it's as easy as just like turning on the camera either. You know, I think when they're outside in the day, in the daytime, like, you know, obviously they're not lighting it and stuff. It feels that way at night or in the interiors too. It still feels like documentary, but I was sort of diving into the cinematographer. There's a great like article with him, uh, interview, just talking about how they shot this thing. And um, they were talking about like, you know, the, like in the bathroom scene where he's like roughing up the, uh, the guy. And it's like, it's really low light. You know, they couldn't, um, He was just, he was asking like, how do you, how do you want this to feel? And he's like, I just want it to feel like you walked into a real bathroom, you know, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, so they lit it the same way, just a light up above, you know, and it was, you know, like, uh, so there's a lot of like uh, craft that goes into making it feel real right. too i think in that in that santa claus scene there's like a little fire on the street you know like they they round the corner and there's some garbage on fire or something yeah. and it's like, like
0: out of focus <laughs> in the foreground kind of it's amazing yeah yeah, yeah. give it a Beautiful. little compositional yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like uh
2: like flavor right. right but it's a lot of work to make it feel real i guess it's, yeah absolutely
0: totally absolutely. before it's, we move on it seems the... ironic it's counterintuitive but, but it isn't. sorry before we, but
1: before we move on from the santa claus or too far from the santa claus clip i just want to say one thing about it Which is uh, similar to cruising, also you know, in that infamous scene with the you know tall black man wearing the cowboy hat that slaps Al Pacino, and how that was a real police tactic ripped right from the uh, procedure books. Um, This uh, the Santa Claus routine is another one that uh, actually happened with the real French Connection guys. Um, And it basically how it came about is, street guys were getting really smart to undercover cops and what they would do and how they would look and what they would look mm-hmm. like. And so, uh, of course, um, Eddie Egan, you know, who whose Papa Doyle is based on, uh, at one point thought, well, no one would expect Santa Claus you know, no one expect uh, Santa Claus to be a cop. So that would happen a lot where they on Christmas amazing. would pick up a lot of pushers on Christmas dressed up as fucking Santa Claus.
2: because yeah. they're hiding
0: in plain sight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So right. They, oh, I read amazing. that, too.
2: He's sort of like out there ringing the bell. And then yeah. like when they would see someone do a deal, they would ring the bell twice. And then the other oh, cops yeah. would come out to like. Uh, so, they, so the guys couldn't tell oh. who was spotting them, you know.
0: Wow.
1: Um, well, do we so, want to um, look at that bathroom yeah. uh, bean footage?
0: Yeah, just to refer back to what Marcus was saying, uh, mm-hmm. you, you heard from the uh, cinematographer about how he lit this very scene, you know? Oh, cool. Yeah,
1: and, 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 and then We can, we can dovetail...
0: Oh, yeah. Please, go ahead. Sorry.
1: I was just going to say, we can set it up here. This is a scene uh, very early on in the film where Gene Hackman's character uh, is r- uh, roughing up a guy in a bar that we later find out is an informant of his, and uh, it's such a beautifully played scene when we really get to... Re-
0: it's all a con uh, yeah. in the sense of... Um, he has an arrangement uh, with this guy, this street level guy who has the word on the street, kind of Huggy Bear of Starsky and, Hunch, and um <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop with that. No but, but he's, no, but he has his ear to the ground, you know, so he, he has an informant, he pays him off. And, um, you know, he, he he creates this whole uh, Popeye and his partner, you know, the Royceada character. Uh, they come in uh, blazing and they're, and it looks like they're shaking down this whole bar in this black neighborhood. But the whole point of it is this scene we're about to watch right now. And you see the, um, how the, the exchange happens uh, between the informant about um, how um, they can both look like they weren't just talking to each other in the bathroom. Keep up you know appearances, I mean? yeah. Here we go. Mm-hmm. There's
2: been some talk about what? Shipment. Coming in this week, week after. Everybody's going to get well.
0: Well, who's bringing it? Who knows? It's so dark. Uh. Where do you want
2: it? Where do you want it?
0: Oh shit! This side. There we go. Oh, man. It allows the guy to come out of the bar with all of the people I'm he check knows. Check this address in the Bronx. Like if they Popeye you, fucked him and it keeps people afraid of Popeye Doyle, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So yep, it does yep. two things, right? So what I was is gonna this gonna say the origin is, of the "where do you want it," <laughs> you know, trope I'm, I'm in movies? Sure. Like, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm certain. Yeah, and it, and it works yeah. so well. And I loved his line reading. It's like, "Where do you want it?" You know, like. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> yeah. uh, what, what I was going to say is, this is also a film that made a star. Gene Hackman was goofing around. He was, uh, you know, a secondary person in Bonnie and Clyde. You know, he got some noti- notice. He got a little notice here and there, but it made him a big star he won the Oscar you know and so uh, big ups to Gene Hackman I love Gene Hackman and it's so great to see him so that's what I'm saying like you get this whole film and everything we've been talking about and you just get this killer uh, star making performance by mr. Gene fucking Hackman you know and but what we were talking about earlier a little bit off the air was um it's an anecdote that I've heard where uh, help me out Evan here uh, is um so Friedkin would find that Hackman was trying to act (laughs) Mm-hmm. And create a characterization and to create a character, you know, to mm-hmm. like have some, some, uh, you know, some light behind the eyes, hinted backstory, some of the sources of his troubles, how he got to this place in his life. What, what is this place in Papa Do's life? And Friedkin shut it all down, both through the performances and in the editing. He just got rid of everything that even resembled the development of a character. On the part of uh, of Hackman, and all I'll say, lastly, and then shut up, is somehow Hackman does something though by being restricted, and he does create um, a world weariness, a melancholy that is v- very powerful, but it's sort of um, unarticulated in a conventional film sense.
1: Well, I think f- from the uh, sorry, just real quick, I I think just on that note, I think mm-hmm. you know, Gene Hackman found it incredibly difficult to relate. To that character you know because okay. it's, it's based on Edward Egan you know it's a real guy he's a loud mouth you know racial slurs slipping out of his mouth every you know couple of, couple of words yeah. he's you know, a he bad
0: a, guy he, too Yeah, but he's a bad guy for the good cause which is debatable and um, you know yeah. and he's also that kind of guy where like if you and just like the scene we just watched by the way one of his few characterizations here is like if you really want to get the bad guys you have to like lay down with the dogs and get fleas. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. You have to get in that world and you have to cut corners and you can't be like a fucking boy scout or like Serpico or something. You have to, um, do whatever it takes to get the bad guys. So it makes you do not very nice things.
1: And we should point out to our, to our viewers that, um, Edward Egan, the, the the real Popeye Doyle, the, the guy this place is based on, is in the film, too. Uh, he plays Captain Walt Simonson. He plays their captain, and he's in the movie. And so Gene Hackman found it really hard, to, you know, when he was spending time kind of shadowing um, Edward, he kind of had a... He found him v- vile and unlikable, and he had a hard oh. time kind of uh, appropriating that into his performance. And uh, Friedkin, who I, from a lot of accounts, even his own, was pretty unruly on this set and like in most of his movies, pretty intense as a director and was fierce and un, uh, he, he, he wanted to get what he wanted. And, and in order to pull it out of Gene Hackman, he had to push him constantly. And he would. Um, like what? Th- well, so he, he, he wasn't feeling like he was playing it intense enough. So he would just start, you know, lambasting him. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Ah, what the fuck's the matter with you? You know, a lot of that kind of stuff. And he would also trick him by, even when he delivered a great performance, um, Freakin would just sigh, <laughs> shake his head, like, no, you know, this uh, is. You is you that know. all you got? And yeah, and, and be so angry. And he kept doing that to people. <laughs> he kept, cool. you know, he, he kept <laughs> pulling that trick to everyone on the set. Like, even when they did the first car chase, you know, when, when they filmed it the first time, the, the, the uh-huh. famous scene, the, the guy who was the stunt driver. Who's supposed to you know this world class stunt driver or whatever the guy that was doing it, um, yep. he uh, basically freaking wasn't that impressed and he's like, is that all you got? Is that really all you got? You know, and then it was like, I'll be back tomorrow and we're gonna fuck some shit up, you know. Right. And then they mind really games. did it, you know, mind game, all- yeah, mind game.
0: Amazing. Maestro,
1: yeah, on this to get this yeah. thing done But I'm sure it was taxing Because ha- Hackman almost quit several times He almost quit, you know, actually uh, Right in that oh. first opening scene we just watched um, Santa he was Claus? Pushed, he, was, he was pushed so far because of you know, <laughs> Weather and all this stuff and yeah. This and sucks, many- and he's it? probably
0: getting paid nothing Because right. the film's budget was like nothing And then he's nobody, so he couldn't command Like a large, you know, uh, fee so he's probably right. getting like nothing. And he probably, he probably, Hackman probably thought it was a step down for him because again, he was, I can't remember, but he was in Bonnie and Clyde. He had a bit of a career, you know what I mean? And he's like, he must've thought this isn't even, you know, really, I, I have a feeling a lot of people thought, is this even going to come out? Like, this looks like a, like a shambles, like, like a disaster, like almost like star Wars, Marcus, you know, like, yeah. like, <laughs> like, 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 like no one thought, we are making the biggest box office movie of the year, and we're going to win five Oscars, All right, guys? Yeah. And they're just like, no, this is garbage. It'll be on, like, the bottom of um, a triple bill. Like, with, with I Drink Your Blood, sidebar, like, um, one of my favorite little tidbits is um, the, uh, the attractive wife of Tony LaBianco, the mobster who owns the uh, sort of, like, candy cigarette Angie. store. Angie. Yeah, Angie. her name's Angie. Right? Angie, yeah. But yeah. the actress, right, right. So um, she's flirting. You see, she's flirting with Roy Scheider and stuff like that. And she's uh, she's implicit or complicit in the, um, you know, all the all the wrongdoing with, with her mob husband. No, she. Guess what other film she was in that year? This shows you the the strata of this film in a way. Her other big film of 1971 was "I Drink Your Blood."
1: Yeah, uh, her name is awesome. Arlene
0: Farmer, <laughs> and uh, she like was like, "Hey guys, let's wrap this up. I got to go upstate." and uh have uh, lsd meat pie hippie murder stuff going on (laughs) you know so it just it does show you um that that is the strata this film was in in right
2: that the the female lead
0: is like in weird horrendous garbage upstate at the same time
2: so um the the, uh, before we move on from hackman for a second just like Mm -hmm. the the real cop's name is his nickname is popeye too right like the real cop. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep so uh, it's interesting like like you said tom uh, about the film uh Freak was trying to like strangle any sort of characterization out of these characters but it's but then you know and i i think that the way they rationalized uh popeye being you know racist and just and violent and stuff is that he had this sort of bluster that he walked around with to get you know to, like you said to solve the crimes um or you know to to like bust bad guys intimidate, uh, right right yes he's playing that playing a role um and he i get
0: perpetual say, bad cop yeah
2: right right i i feel like hackman's like his charisma just comes through because even the care because whatever is there yeah. of the character right. is an alcoholic is a is like a a dirt kind of a almost a dirty cop. he's not dirty cop but he's like he shoots somebody in the back. You know, he's like he's not a clean line. cop. He's, he, he, he's dangerous. You know, he uh, he's um, you know uh, I mentioned he's this crazy raging alcoholic to the whole movie. He's got all these unlikable characteristics, and yet people love that character. You know that like that they brought him back for a, a sequel. There was that weird uh, French attempt French to Connection make too. a uh, yes French Connection too. Then there was a weird like attempt to make a a pilot, like a made for TV. Oh, it's going to be a TV series. There's a pilot with like Ed O'Neill as a, as Popeye Doyle. Um, it's basically like, well, yeah. if you take away the Gene Hackman, he's basically just a hat and like an alcoholic racist, you know, pig cop, which isn't yeah. like people's nor- normally someone who people are drawn to. But I thought like Hackman has just got so much charisma that comes through. and yeah, I think that's, that's what makes people point. love, you know, oh, this that's character. a great
0: point. I think. Well, you know who you know who was going to play this part. I might be wrong, but I don't think I am. Was uh, so we were talking about Joe earlier, the film Joe. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah um, you're right.
0: Starring Peter Boyle as Joe, the hard hat, you know, um, you know, with like a racist rants at the bar. He's it, actually that's where Archie Bunker came from. But mm-hmm. anyway, Peter mm-hmm. Boyle was. I'm pretty sure. Well, no, look he was. this up. He was. Okay, he yeah. was. He was. He was in in the running. Yeah, to be, uh Popeye Doyle. And he said, whoa, hold your horse because he was a total peacenik. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he was hanging out with uh, the fuck the army crowd, Donald Sutherland and Jane Fonda. So like he was probably he barely could like stomach doing the character of Joe in the film. And he was like, I can't do a double decker on that one. You know, one yeah. two punch and do yeah. like another like uh, risable kind of like um, right wing shithead. Um, so <laughs> but I could see him doing it. But, to, but anyway, my point is to say what you're saying, I don't. I think he would have done a very different Popeye Doyle, and it would have been very much more alienating. And he's a great actor, and he would have just made it like too I don't know, real. just because because <laughs> yeah, too good and all that. But like, and also just his way he looks and everything. But like, um, like Hackman's like cute. Like he carries himself kind of cute, you know. He's like, yeah, know, he's like, he's a, he's a very charming person, and he's one of those actors who's kind of always doing the same thing. Like he's not like he doesn't live embody characters like. <laughs> when you see a Gene Hackman film, he's like, "Yeah, Gene Hackman's over here now doing this," you know. Gene right, Hackman. Lex Luthor
2: and Popeye Doyle, oh, like, right. Yeah,
0: yeah, I don't know about Lex Luther, but I mean his other <laughs> films of note, and, and that's a compliment to him. So what, what I'm saying is that he has a charm. So, the, um, so uh, I, I hear what you're saying, and I agree with you. And I think, well, I was going to say we have a supportive moment, uh, again, a 30 second, you know, moil cut moment of this great film. And I just wanted to show it, just to give so, some, some relief to. Um, some understanding of what we're saying. This is uh, Evan the um like uh, his morning. This is yeah, his okay. morning. It's yeah, a great it. moment. This is uh well let's just watch it. So, hang I, on. I don't even need to say anything. Just oh, real okay. quick real quick, yeah,
1: of course. then i I just want to tag in on what Marcus was saying really quick about you know how he entered the Zeitgeist, if you will. You have to mention he's the inspiration for Popeye's Chicken Man. I mean, that's what they named Popeye's Chicken Man. No. Yes. What? Where'd you hear that? Go on the Popeye's Chicken. (laughs) Nope. Popeye's.com. Popeye's.com, everybody. Log on. Click on to I've been our been there story in a while.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like click on, click on our
1: story and
2: it says, um, yeah. Get and, the uh, fuck out of here. Popeye's after Well, it explains a lot. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, anyway. Oh, I got a thought. Um, it, I got a thought it does, about Yeah, that
2: does explain why Popeye is the, the Sailor Man is not like, on their logo. You know, because right. I was always, always wondered that myself. <laughs> Same here. But why is he yeah. called Popeye?
0: No, no, but let's, 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 let's just get back to Hackman. Let's kind of put a button on Hackman because I love this moment in the film and um, it's self-explanatory, but basically this is how he greets the dawn. This is him at like 7 a.m. Typical on Tuesday. Oh, I got something I want to put on after this, but here we go. Yeah, so like this is him greeting the dawn. Shitty bar in like Queens. Ugly New York, like you were talking earlier.
2: Cold. this movie I looks know, so cold feels,
0: i feel cold watching but anyway this is this is like you know how he lives his life and he's like hey she's kind of cute you know it's <laughs> like 20 like, year old like hippie girl um, on a bicycle and what happens after this little <laughs> moment here is we don't know we never find out how but they basically wind up hooking up in the sack at his uh horrible apartment and that's the other little thing i wanted to mention is <laughs> popeye doyle in the film he lives in basically like a like a like a tenement like a long island city tenement you know what i mean with like like people who are on welfare and it's this yeah. horrible like studio apartment it's messy
2: it's a studio and, the bed's in the main room the fuck, yeah dude <laughs> it's messy as
0: fuck. yeah, yeah and like um <laughs> and you see him leaving that place in the beginning in the moment that's before the um or the thing that leads up to the big car chase we have that too. We can look at it later. But just like, yeah. like I guess one thing I'll say is um, he's not living large. So like he maybe is a bad guy and he has bad points of view, but he's not a rip off looking to get quick, make money fast, like all the French assholes in the film and all the mobster assholes in the film. He's fucking broke. So he's not using anything to advance himself. He's not a corrupt cop. You know, who's got like a, you know, a townhouse in, in New yeah. Jersey or something.
2: Well, he's sort of in it for like the chase, right? Like he's in it for the hunt, basically, right? It's <laughs> like, well, it's what it feels like. like they go off. He, the, the way this whole thing kicks off is they, after, you know, whatever work, they go out for a drink. And he starts watching people in the club, you know, and then started to get in the, the old instinct
0: that fires
2: up and he's like, let's go follow these guys. You know, they, they've been at work all day. And it's like 3am you know, yeah, and he's, he's like, driven. let's go, let's go back to or, work.
0: Yeah. If I could put on my, you know, if I can do like a 25 cent psycho uh, analysis of him, he had, he's a person and like I was just saying, like he has no apartment. He has no relationships. He just sleeps with like random girls. He meets in the street. He has no life. He has nothing.
1: Nothing. And yeah. this
0: is, he has nothing. He's he's zero, and it's not because he's so dedicated to his work. It's more like he's dedicated to his work um, because he just doesn't have anything. This is all he's got, and it's it's defining his persona. He is a cop, and he's a good cop. And in order to prove it, not to anybody else, but to himself, that I'm a good cop and I'm a real person and I'm a, a any kind of value other right. than a drunk who like right. busts people for like five dollar you know you know ripoffs. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I need a big score because I need to validate who I am. So in a weird way, it's profoundly a character study, but it's not done in any of the ways of, um, in the corny ways. You know, what's some of those terms like, you know, like the, I had a dog part of a movie. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yeah. You guys know what I'm saying?
2: Just by what you're saying, I get it. Yeah. yeah, Well,
0: like in the third act of like a bad script, you you learn the, I had a dog moment where it means Mm -hmm. like, you know, like you zoom in on him. I'm trying to think of an example. There's, eighteen million of them. But he doesn't have like an I had a dog moment. If he did, it would look like this in French Connection, like um, you know, like uh, well, you know, my first wife, you know, uh she got mugged and fell down the stairs right. and she died. Right. You know, an origin right. story. Like, oh. An origin story. That's yeah, why I've been
2: behaving this way for the exactly. whole movie up to now. Yeah.
0: But really he's just having an existential crisis.
1: Exactly. He has yeah, this I, moment of true like obsession that is propelling him to 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 see this through to the end. You know, and that really cracks for him uh in the end of the movie.
0: Um which he you know, makes is, big is, mistakes.
1: Which he makes big mistakes, right? I mean he 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 he
0: he you know shoots risk, one of his he risks his life and others like yeah. like you know right?
1: Yeah no he does and he and he and he winds up killing you know somebody you know he, he winds up killing a cop at the end of the film yeah, and exactly. uh but one thing which I think puts a bow on, on this whole portion that we're talking about here, because a lot mm. more 20, 20 minutes left on the clock, we we got to get to. Oh my god! But I know, I know, I know. But the thing is, go ahead, go ahead. is that uh, in talking about um, talking about Gene Hackman's character in this movie, I think it's it, 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 a nice touch with this movie is the ending, and I mean the very end when mm-hmm. um, he says that you know Frog One, who is the you know French guy, is back in that room. I know he's back there. We got to go get him, and he goes mm-hmm. back there. The gunshot happens, uh, of course, off screen, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And you don't know. It's an am- it's an ambiguous ending, Definitely. and of yeah. course, and and of course, freakin talking about that ending. He's like, you know, I don't know what ha- I don't not know i am not sure what it means, you know. But he did say <laughs> one thing about it that's <laughs> really thank you. Yeah, more glad. more of that to come, and he says, um, <laughs> I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but who knows? Maybe now he's shooting at shadows. Maybe he's shooting at shadows now. You there know, you go. I think that's a good he's lost of- it.
0: Well, we were saying it's captain ahab uh and and frog one is is moby dick you know so he's he's really he's uh he's got a ton of problems and he's trying to buy his way out of like all of his problems with one big ticket which was i made a huge bust and i'm of of value and um and that's what's driving him
2: right We almost hear a little bit. We hear a little bit like that he was responsible for a cop getting killed in the past, but it doesn't seem like it has any effect on him. You know, like and and yeah. when he kills that cop, it has zero impact on him either. You know, he's just like movie like it almost like it didn't even happen. You know, yeah. he didn't not
1: well, at so all. And, world. Yeah. and one other thing that's kind of interesting about just the, the 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 reality of this movie or this versus reality is when Randy Jurgensen <clears throat> saw when they were filming. The way that Freakin was blocking the scene when he finally kills the guy at the end of the chase scene when he finally the famous shot when at the base the of the uh, yeah. the stairs. elevated
0: subway stairs yeah yeah right yeah exactly when he when he finally when he finally
1: <laughs> shoots him Randy's like no way that can't happen unarmed guy you know he's showing you both his hands you shoot him in the back that's not that's you know that's murder that's moita you know. And um and then freaking and then of course when he saw the test screening, everyone's like, Yeah, fuck yeah. He got him and he
2: like, See? Wow. And, you know? And so but that's interesting. Ride. And I think it's like yeah. I heard him say like I heard it that he was like, Did that scene work for you, Randy? Yeah, right,
1: right. You like that? It's the
2: movies, uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: But um it, the crowd loves but, it. It, it, it is a good segue really quick just into that this movie does explore one theme that a lot of 1971 films uh, explore, which is just that moral gray area, uh, the moral ambiguity of, too, yeah. of everything. And I think that, um, you know, because you noted, Tom, that Pauline kale had some n- uh, negative words for this movie. If you want to run those down a little bit, I think that's kind of Well,
0: you know, we were just we we're talking earlier. And uh, actually, the more I think about it, you know, so Dirty Harry's from this time, too. I think even the same year. Right. And, uh, Kale hated Pauline Kale, New York times, you know, reviewer, uh, very influential. She really hated those films. She was, she was a big liberal person, you know, in, in a very reasonable way. And it was the seventies and, and she thought that these films were part of, um, battle lines. Um, because here's another thing that we can't relate to in 2022 is this, these films had especially, you know, French connection. Let's just say had a lot of heat because they had, potentially the consequences in the streets, vigilante violence and whatnot, you know, and um, the ending of progressive attitudes towards um, people of color and people in the city who are like stuck in this, you know, desperate position and maybe don't even want to commit crimes, but they're considered like evil in, um, you know, and they're painted in the darkest light, like hippies, the way they're depicted in Dirty Harry, you know, is like, oh, they're all Child fuckers and you know mama murderers and it's like whoa calm down and because so she hated them on uh, in the context of the battle lines that were very very in vivid color that are not now not not like you know it's just a different time so she hated them for that reason she also thought the french connection was kind of like we were saying earlier she did not appreciate that there's no character like uh like what i'll say is um main street she loved that there was a central character for instance, there's a character study, which is so different by comparison to what we're saying about Popeye Doyle. She likes that more. She didn't like Goodfellas because she thought it was journalism, which I thought was an interesting point. Uh, but fuck who cares? But she 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 <laughs> likes characters. She likes she likes real characters to flesh out, and like you know, um, they weren't happening in Goodfellas, and, and they're just different kinds of films. So she wasn't appreciating that. But um, I think as we talk about this more, just to change the subject slightly, is I was thinking about Dirty Harry in comparison. And we're talking about the gray area and the moral ambiguity. And I was about to bring that up myself. Dirty Harry is not morally ambiguous, Mm-mm. it's very black and white. Yeah. Which is, yeah. it is, and that is kind of odious. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Mm-hmm. Because it means that you can justify doing this, that, and the other thing because you are wearing the white hat. That's kind of weird. But French Connection is very weird. And I'll just say that the first time I ever saw it was on TV as a little kid. And I, <laughs> what really stuck with me was, very end of the film it says like uh six months later all the heroin that the uh police seized was was stolen or lost right and i remember yeah and even as a little kid i went wow boy is this film cynical you know what i mean and this i think (laughs) even outside of moral ambiguity this is just such a cynical film where it's like um you know humans are bad we fucked up there's no redemption there aren't heroes there aren't white hat guys why are we even talking about that this is what the world is you know, where like a bunch of drugs disappear because cops, who are you know, and it gets more into that Serpico line of things, where it's like, then you know, the cops are like not even close to wearing white hats. You know, so um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, very sour, and I think just to maybe go full circle, what we we're talking about that sourness in tone and 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 uh, more in philosophy is so different than other kinds of Oscar winners, even from a few years ago. You know what I mean? That is. Again, such a punch in the stomach for people, and it's the beginning. This film, I would dare to say, this is the beginning of the cycle of heavy cynicism in the big pop films of that era. It was French Connection and then Star Wars. And what I mean is, the peak was the Godfather films. Okay, like like people. Uh, not only did these films exist, but they were uh, they had a, an audience. They had a, they they were being heard. That frame of mind, that attitude, and people call it like the Watergate frame of mind, you know, which, you know, French culture precedes that, but it's part of that. And that means, and it's something, again, we can't relate to because all of us are so cynical to the core in 2022, but cynicism was really, must've been a punch in the stomach. And what I mean is when they mention Watergate, they think, well, the president is the leader of our country. He's a good guy. He wants our country to do well. He wants me to have a good job, you know, like, and, you know, and, and just all of that is just, just the rug is pulled out from the entire country, and I and I would say the French Connection is the very beginning of that because it was a huge hit, and but it all ended. Actually, it ended with Rocky, and then Star Wars. But people burned out hard. Yeah. And um, the difference between Rocky and um, uh, b- 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 French Connection is huge because you know Philadelphia is very ugly and harsh and grim and urban in Rocky, but it's like but he's got a heart of gold, that yeah. kid, you know? And it's like, there is no like- it's a fantasy. Of,
2: yeah.
0: Right, and there's no heart of gold in French Connection. It's more just like, <laughs> like watch out, you might die, you might have to kill, um, you're going to get ripped off, you can't trust anyone. Wow, and you can't trust anyone yeah. on the highest strata of the rich assholes from France to um, the lowest guys in the shitty bar yeah. to maybe even the cops you work with. And
2: so, all this death and destruction- wow. To, for no purpose, right? I know. yeah. You because know, well, they all
1: get away. Yeah. They all get, away. <laughs> they all get you know, away when we see the ending titles. Um, but I, I, Friedkin does say in his memoir, and I want to segue into his memoir if I can for this second here. Okay. But he, he, he does say in his memoir, it's a great read, by the way, the uh, Friedkin okay, connection. Yeah. Definitely recommend it. It's really entertaining.
2: What the he, audiobook? Oh, Ooh, there is one. It's okay. on cinemageddon. Uh, oh, does he read down. it? Yes, of course. Does he read it?
1: Um, Okay. Yeah, I know, of course. Yeah, so um, (laughs) click, download. Um, Amazon. But anyway, he he does talk about this movie. I don't know if he was thinking about it at the time uh, (laughs) or if he was thinking about it, uh, you know, like reflecting back on the movie, but he did talk about that this movie is about the thin line between the police and criminality, you know, that there is a very gray area between the two. So that's where I would disagree with, you know, Miss Pauline Kael in that because I... I do think that it is at least trying to show that in this movie where films like oh, Death know. Wish and, and, you know, uh, and um, the other one, the, the Clint a uh, Dre <laughs> Harry. Thank you. Uh, definitely uh, fallen more into that category. But if I may, with the memoir, real quick, just as we're staring down uh, about uh, sub-12 minutes. um mm-hmm. So in the memoir, uh, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stories, and I won't bore everybody to death with all of them. But there's one that's just so emblematic of the renegade filmmaking that uh, went into this, and 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 yeah. and, and that sort of lightning-in-a-bottle sort of attitude, <laughs> you know, in order to pull this fucking movie off, especially on the budget. Let me right? guess, so. it's
0: all stolen shots, pretty much, right? Most of it is. Most of it is. But that's there was what I've one. Heard. There's one okay.
1: shot that they couldn't steal. Okay, and that's what I'm going to get into. So. Um, you know when they did the traffic jam on the bridge, stolen. You know when they did the car chase scenes, stolen. You know they had Jesus. Randy Jurgensen who had a badge. You know he was a cop, so if they had any sort of problems with the police, you know he could kind of take care of it. But Man. the one thing they actually needed permission for uh, was the subway uh, aspect of the chase scene to be okay. able to film on the subway platforms. Um, you know, like that. That's oh, the one thing.
0: Oh, the, the elevated one, not the one where yes. him and the uh, French right. guard. yeah
1: Okay. Yeah, well, I'm sure that one too. But I think the, mainly right. the above Makes ground sense. subway, they really needed to get sign off. and They couldn't steal that. So yeah, um, he had to figure out how are we going to do this? Like, how the hell are we going to do this? So he and his producer and I think his production manager went to, to meet with the transit authority, the guy who was the head of the transit authority. So I just want to read this section from his memoir. It's very entertaining where he tells okay. the story of what happened. So I'm going to do my best here. All right. With me were <laughs> D'Antoni, the producer, and Kenny Utt, our production manager. We had no script of the chase, but I described the concept uh, as DiAntoni and I worked it out on our walk. He's referring to the fact that they walked across New York City, him and the producer, literally beating out this entire movie on a long, one long walk, which is like incredible. Wow. That's how they came up with the chase scene. The transit uh, authority guy listened with interest, occasionally nodding, sometimes frowning. When we finished, I asked him how fast the L train could go at top speed. About 50 miles an hour, he said. Great. That means a car going full speed could theoretically catch up to it. He nodded. I hope so. Or I, I, I suppose so. Um, hmm. Then the producer jumped in. Is it possible we could use one of the two lines, either the Myrtle Avenue or the Coney Island? The transit guy smiled. Your idea is far-fetched. No one's ever jacked a train, and we don't want to give people ideas. What you're asking Mm. would be difficult. Damn difficult. I then, Friedkin, I started to think how I might steal the sequence. Phil and Kenny told the transit guy, It was the most important scene in our film, and we might have to go to Chicago to shoot the whole picture, which would take a lot Mm. of New Yorkers off the clock. That was bullshit, of course. We could never move the production out of New York, but we were trying to appeal to the guy any way we could. He shook his head. Awfully difficult. It seemed hopeless. We thanked him and asked him if he let us shoot the subway cat and mouse between Popeye that's and, the, and Frog 1. Frog 1, yeah. Yep. So then the transit guy said, that could be arranged, he said. We didn't want to push our luck, though, any further, so we got up to leave. And as we got out the door, the transit guy said, just a minute. We turned back. I said it would be difficult, but not impossible. What would it take, the production manager asked. Without hesitation, the transit authority guy said, I, "If I let you shoot what you just described, I'd be in a world of trouble." And then um, what would it take? And then the transit authority guy said, "$40,000 and a one-way ticket to Jamaica." Why one way? One way. <laughs> yeah, why one way? Uh, cuz when you cuz when you cuz when your film comes out, I'll be fired. And that's what it took. We had a total budget of 1.5 million and wow. that was tight. But Dick but but the producer understood. He approved the extra 40 grand and Kenny put it in a separate account so it could be paid under the table. When the film nice. opened, the honcho was fired and I hope he lived happily ever,
0: happily ever after in Jamaica. <laughs> yeah. So. Like steel drums playing. <laughs> <laughs> that's cray, man. Well, he's he's a wheeler dealer. He's uh, you know, he's a wheeler that's dealer. That's amazing. Now we're yeah, running out of time. I'm sorry. And uh, there's so much you want to talk about. Actually, Ironically, we haven't even discussed. Um, I won't say it's your favorite moment, but it's one that I love, and I keep oh. mentioning yes. with French Connection. And uh, you know why? Because when I was an adult, I finally saw it again. You know, and I and I've kind of forgotten. Like, is French French Connection stupid? Like, what is this? And I went, and I was so blown away. I was a little high, and uh, I was like, when I when I, when I went inside my um, my cellular structure uh, about how cool it was was when they destroy. The uh, Lincoln Continental, and 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 you know, uh, segment it, you know, uh, and particleize it to look for the the drugs because they, they think that they uh, all the heroin has been uh, you know shipped in in a hidden compartment of the car Let's and it's write it up. so it's, and it no no it's all the stuff we talk about though no music fluorescent lit ugly room ugly guy, like mechanics working on it. But it's so beautifully filmed, the editing's great. Now, the thing is, again, we had to moil it down for YouTube, and there's just a little bit of it, but it's a long, great scene that, you know, we obviously are recommending to rewatch French Connection if you haven't in a while, but just that scene is a real favorite of mine, and I'm assuming it's yours too, guys. I ripped everything
2: out of there, except the rocker panels. Come on, Irv, what the hell is that?
0: So they already dismantled the car. But fucking Herb didn't mention the rocket panels, <laughs> yeah. you know. And uh, I love, I love Herb. You know. Let me let me guess. He's a, he's like a long-time West Village actor, right? No, he's actually just a mechanic, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> so, um, and then they find the fucking sacks of heroin. It's amazing. Um, so I don't have anything to say except uh, this whole segment of the film. It made me really fall in love with it, and it's so different. And it's almost like if you're doing this kind of filmmaking in this part of the movie fuck having character development it's it's just it's just a different there's a different intention you know what i mean like it's just a different thing you know and it is related to a documentary but it's not actually a documentary you know brilliant so there's a, n-
2: I- there's a nice little moment at the end of that that delights too because once they get the car completely stripped apart the guy the french guy's waiting for it the french actor mm-hmm. or whatever is waiting for it to get it out and there's all this tension about like you're like in your head you're like how. Like they, they, they're not so gonna get the car back yeah, yeah but no, somehow exactly. they do they get it all back together right for right because yeah.
0: they really deconstruct it it's sort yeah. of like, i always think it's i don't know why i think this but <laughs> the back of that pink floyd album cover when they're displaying all their equipment in this like, oh, like kind of yeah. display i don't know why I'm the, pom, the pompeii display is that yeah. umaguma or something i think it's umaguma actually i think, actually. Yeah. I think it is yeah oh yeah. it's like every single piece whatever who cares i don't even right, know why i right. think that but we're doing sort of a round robin here you know um because can, we about, so much. can we talk about? Can we talk about the heroin guy? The heroin guy. The heroin testing. That was next. Go. Easy. Go. Yeah. Go. That was next. Please. That's, you oh, go. Okay. Yeah. So, um, fuck. I forgot the guy's name. Who cares? He is actually in Joe. I know. So, so, so the, so the drug. So the French drug dealers need to test the purity of the heroin to price it. Right. So, um, this is the second big appearance by the guy who is the shitty, creepy hippie boyfriend in the beginning of Joe, if you're familiar with the film, you know, he's dating, um, you know, uh, soon uh, uh, yeah. and, um, and yeah. it's, and it's, it's the, well, I don't want to spoil it for you, but anyway, he's so gross. And like, you see him selling like uh chiclets as if they were like uh, uh, uppers to like 12 year old <laughs> high school kids, you know? And he's such a scumbag. He's like fucked up teeth. So,
2: so skeezy.
0: Yeah. He's so skeezy. He's so great. And he kind of reminds me of Jay, uh, John K from seven wolf, whatever uh you know but um he's so great i wish he did more because this is the second big moment in film and um and and i can't i try to articulate this to you guys before i don't know what it is i can't break it down i'll need like an hour to think about it but something about this segment the way it's filmed the editing it's all close-ups the silence it feels like revolutionary and a kind of filmmaking that was just happening the only thing i can think of is almost like Tulane blacktop or something. And I, I know that doesn't quite make sense, but just like um, ice cold. And back to my classic thing that everybody hates the serif and sans serif mm. uh, from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This is a and I won't bother explaining it and bore you. We got to play but, um, it. This is a, I'm doing it right now. This is a very serif moment of 70s film, a okay. very new way of filming. And here it is. He's testing the purity of the hair. Look at these shots. And it's much long, It's much longer than this. Again, we had to have our moil cut it down.
2: One insight from the interview with, with the DP was that there was they were consciously made a decision not to bring the grittiness into this scene
0: that they thought that this should be all clean oh my and God, pristine I love and, that. and um, fascinating. Because there you go. Because it's a very, it's a very um, fully realized like whole piece within the film that is that is otherwise kind of like filthy walls, you know, and like for us, like, it's a.
1: And Last they officer. and they did uh, use real heroin for that as well too. Oh yeah, which, uh, yeah. It's a fun <laughs> yeah. little.
2: I'm, I'm it sounds sure like one of those print it. the legends. Kind yeah, of things, probably. but whatever. They probably
1: did. But because I think, <laughs> I think it had to turn. Go get me some heroin. I think it had to turn. It had to turn purple, or it had yeah. to turn color, and that's the only way they yeah, could yeah, get yeah. color. Yeah, Anyway, that's dry. just
0: a. It's a very special scene, and um, a lot of it's driven by that incredible performance by that sleazy hippie guy. What else we got?
1: And also to tie it to another freaking film too It's like he always loves showing that process You know he loves showing the authentic Process behind something so it wouldn't surprise Me if they use real heroin because he showed Hey yeah. here's how well, to counterfeit I, fucking I, money I, would, in, be, I uh, would be surprised Well it's like here's how here's how to counterfeit money In fucking to live and die in LA
0: which he shows and Right got trouble right with yeah, So I mean, exactly. he
1: loves showing that real ass process mm. Yeah
0: yeah, um, For sure. You know what that, know. that actor Maybe knew how to like test drugs uh, <laughs> You know what I mean Let's like, do one like, point... like <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, let's just do this. We got to power through this. One sec. There's so one much. Sec, we have film. one minute
1: left. Let's let, let's talk about the amazing sniper scene.
0: Well, there you go. I could obloviate on this too, but just not many people are aware of and have watched much the very beginning, which is what this is the very beginning of the epic chase scene. And uh, here he is walking out of his shitty like tenement apartment in like Long Island City or whatever, or Astoria, and get. Um, Look at that. And it's so cold, guys. That's oh, dead. Oh. I mean, there's a horrible act of violence. So it's scary. A lot of violence. Yeah. It's a sniper, and he's barely getting through this behind a skinny tree. It's and cold again. again and it's freezing. No, it might be the coldest film ever. Oh, there's other <laughs> stuff. We, we're out of time. It's just when they're um, casing the, the French guys eating all the food, and they're freezing and eating like cold slices of pizza while the French guys are like dabbling yeah. in fancy desserts. The dichotomy of it, brilliant,
2: totally. I love oh, this and film. How, I guess uh, and how it. much fun the cat and mouse moment is too at the subway. It's just like how, how many steps to in and out, in and out, and it's out. It's so brilliant fun filmmaking. To watch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: The editing, mm-hmm. uh, the composition. Well, and it's, it ends with a French guy waving like toodaloo. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on this train and you're not. And the and callback at the end. Do. So we got to say toodaloo. <laughs> what toodaloo. a film! It's absurd to try to fit nine pounds of french connection love into a, a one hour uh Shit you know bag. sack
1: yeah. uh all right everybody that was one fucking hour <laughs> on uh the french connection our big ass fastest
0: oscar. hour i've ever had on this i show. know serious serious
1: for real uh that was our fucking oscar spectacular everybody um now that the clock's off uh how about that oscars guys
0: uh the other night yeah yeah i'm already <laughs> over it. i don't know i watched it and it was uh it's just it just sucked it's just like um they're trying so hard and um you know like public attention's just slipping through hollywood's fingers for stuff like this like for all kinds of reasons and i think they're they're, they're putting all their hopes on like virtue signaling and it's just not gonna work and it didn't work this is the second lowest rated oscars after last year so um <laughs> And then uh, the the, uh, slapper around the world, whatever. Oh, the
1: slap! The slap, obviously insane. But it was
0: shocking because I thought it was a bit because I watched it live and I was like, "What are they doing? Some stupid bit?" And it's like I thought, I I did think like, "Oh, he he did like a wrestling move, Will Smith, Mm -hmm. and he stomped and like hit his chest, like he went like this, you know, like he made a noise on his on his self because I guess he's mic'd and he, you know, and he and, and you know, I thought it was I thought it was a total bit until. There was 45 seconds of of silence. I know. And then, and then when the silence, ca- then when the silence capped off, it was still silent. Yeah. And it was a man. Everyone silently was staring at a man on a stage who was silent. And I was like, something bad happened. You can't plan that.
1: You can't plan that's like the, for all the conspiracy truthers out there on the slap, which is insane. Oh, no way. I know, but for, but but that is to to you wouldn't go that far to really mimic what it's like yeah. when you have to edit out live television.
2: And man, no, totally. I don't think, I don't think he would take that much heat for a bit either. You know, he wouldn't no. take that much post game. Not heat, a bit. It's just know, not, a he bit. wants to be loved. Yeah.
0: Anyone, so. me, anyone only thought it maybe was a bit in the first 15 seconds because it's just like, what is this? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but also when he starts, you know, dropping F-bombs screaming twice, <laughs> oh. it's just like, and he's, you know, um, he's a shithead. He's a fucking Scientologist and overrated. He's a fucking Fresh Prince. Give me a break. Like and to me, some, and like, something is—he is broken inside. Something's very wrong. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. Something about yeah. it. Something about his marriage. He's really broken. Something weird
2: there. He always says think... he's not a Scientologist, you know, yeah. but they definitely have all kinds of like interesting religious things going on with like their work and the messaging that they put out. And
1: I was just exactly. going to say that I think that him playing that character—I I didn't see the film. But him him playing, you know, uh, the Williams sisters, you know, dad and everything. I think that role in his own mind gave him some fo- sense of legitimacy, you know, to his him and his career. And I think that um, for whatever reason, it's cracked him, you know, to where, you know, he feels like he's now at this can do he, he's we're all living in Will Smith world. And that's kind of been evident watching him doing interviews and, and talking about them. Yeah, that's true. Is leading he, is he up he to goes- this point the huge ego is fed gone.
0: by him being right. popular, you know. Right. But it's, it's th- right. That, well, that was his night. Control, that was, that uh, was, and that was his night. He knew he'd win, you know. But right. I just want to say. So, probably,
2: he's also getting like cucked by his wife, you know. So it's, I think is,
0: it's what it feels like. Well, they have an open yeah. relationship, yeah. I think that, I read a, a you know, a dime store, a psychoanalysis of it. And um, it's, uh, he's very, uh, his, well, kind of back to Popeye idol his identification as, as a man is probably reflected on um his relationship with her and so everything's on the knife's edge about like um approval and disapproval with her and and basically how she sees him through her eyes um he's hypersensitive about that because he was laughing at the stupid chris rock joke and then he looks over and she's like rolling her eyes and not laughing and so he's like he had to get and, and the thing is it's unnatural for him to be a big man and be like you talk about my fucking wife, so it comes off all weird. Yeah, like like a real like a macho man would have actually just maybe stood next to um, Rock at most and like threatened him or something like that, or you know what I mean. But to actually actually contact and hit him like in the in the, in the jaw, there's that's some guards just, like on live TV. <laughs> yeah, and then and also like and and then he but then he then he feels like he had to keep going with the like the uh, the out my fuck out yeah, your fucking mouth and then he says it again louder it's like something it's all neurosis about his self-esteem as a man w- relative to his weird wife and whatever weird relationship they have and he's so not naturally like a tough guy that yeah. he does that thing that some guys do when they're not tough guys and they're like pumping it up and it just comes off just weird like what did you just do yeah like so here, now like what did you do right like,
2: that's the that's the wild thing about it it doesn't just know in what that, he's doing it's not in that, that setting that you would yeah. do that you know yeah, exactly. and like and then just the huge repercussions afterwards that overshadows the movie now and like overshadows the image that you've been crafting for like 40 years. You know, I know. like, I know. I
0: know. <laughs> no, it's never, it's, it's, it'll be the one of the two things that, that makes, makes me famous. <laughs> it
1: is, it so, is one of the crazier all right, things. let right, let's, let's. Yeah, well, crazy. we're going to get off it. We're going to get off Let's it. move on. I, yeah, like, because, you <laughs> know, move on. I, I mean, I
0: understand not many people are talking about this, so we might as well.
1: I know. <laughs> we're trying to we're trying to cover the things. Underreported. I, All right. Get it. You know what the most underreported thing about the Oscars was the most underreported thing about this past Oscars was how about that fucking, now?
0: that fucking in memoriam? Uh, I can't. I, I, I was so hurt <laughs> and, and appalled and insulted. When I was texting with friends. And it's just like uh, I can't even do it. Like, hey, my wife died, and she was 51. It was tough, leukemia. Oh, but you know what? They're playing the Golden Girls theme when they show her fucking face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, are you kidding me? I know. That's so Dude. insensitive. And, it's and it was unreal. All this
1: upbeat, like, spirit in
0: the gospel. Sky, we're all gonna die, you know. Yeah.
1: And everyone. And there's was, like, like a lot of
0: people <laughs> who like. Like, or like 48 and stuff. I die. know. Like even if it was all 85-year-olds, okay, that still sucks. But it's just like, yeah. these are like raw wounds. These are within 12 months. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, uh, you know, I can't – I don't want to do this anymore. It's just – It was it was, a, it was appalling. It was appalling.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think it was, it was one of the more <laughs> – fucking psychotic uh nights of television not just for the slap i just want to say no i many, agree many, it could have been many, many, not the many slap reasons. yeah no i agree many, many, many it's reasons. um
0: well you know what like will smith when you're lost you flail and you have weird behavior yes and yes. hollywood and the academy's lost and they're flailing and they're grabbing at straws and they're like uh virtue signaling diversity and it's like as eh, showbiz like uh make it like the grammys and open with beyonce you know like offsite it's like that's flailing. They don't have their center and weirdly the Oscars is something that did have its center. It did tuxes yeah. orchestra, you know, it's like uh, it's like almost a hundred years old now. And just like, so that's even worse. So when you're, when you just get unmoored from the tradition, you're just flailing. It's like a sort of a midlife crisis kind of thing. You're like, you're the dad. And then, yeah. like, everything falls apart when it's you know, the kids go to school and it's an empty nest. Right. I'm just like, it's almost
2: like, like radio going out when TV comes in or something. You know, like, I think it's, like, the prognosis mm. is probably pretty serious for, like, movies in the long run. You know, I think television and watching things at home or just, like, the Social whole me- no, event no, no. of going. Media. Social media, of course, yeah. Um,
0: well, there's a big thing about how um, really the Oscars for people – has been about seeing Liza Minnelli and, you know, and, uh, Billy Crystal, you know, uh, James Kahn or whatever. Yeah. And, um, that those days are gone because you're oversaturated with, even if you liked a movie star, it's like not a big deal to see them because you just saw them gardening, you know, uh, (laughs) something, you know, it's true. Right. Or, so, or like the, the that.
2: people that are more famous than them on TikTok that you can like actually yeah. have a conversation <laughs> right. with. Like they yeah, will, exactly. you comment on their video and they reply right. back to you or whatever. Right. You know.
0: So, so. what? They're, so so yeah. The Oscars are trying to be relevant because they're like I don't know. Black Lives Matter, right? You know, like that's the thing that people talked about a lot on social media. And it's like um, people like uh, people like pop music. You know, like let's just get more of that in there. You know. Like, I know. Even I know. during the memoir. So so they're so they're just grabbing at straws and they've lost their soul in doing it and the punchline wasn't surprised second lowest ratings uh, in history and the and, lowest for last year so and, and it, so it's it, not like it even helped ever any of it <laughs> you know It is interesting course, though that the
1: like the program you know I, I think what's like fun to hate watch the Oscars is that it is kind of this distorted mirror you know of our society cuz it's so you know you know fake and phony and the, the facade is so yeah. ridiculous in the old school thing. way
0: that was fun, mm-hmm. was fun. that was fun but yeah. now
1: it's like it, it's now entered this level of poetic doom you know it's like when we saw the slap thing but then to actually be in the moment where he's getting the award uh, oh boy and, and 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 he's and people are <laughs> oh, standing ovation you like, couldn't write was, that if you were to write an art film you got a standing ovation thing, you you like, couldn't write like, that it was a Pursuit.
0: movie. You'd be like, "Fake, what, yeah, well, yeah." Totally. <laughs> Trivial Pursuit. What movie star physically <laughs> assaulted someone, and then ten minutes later got a standing ovation? You know? <laughs> or, or, you know, or like you said, I have a short story. You know, and it's like, or it's right. almost like it's um, you know, those kind of like joke puzzle things that people tell you. It's like, like the guy said, "I I got a fish this big," and he was in the phone booth. I don't know if you guys have heard that one. But you know what i mean it's sort of like um like how does someone physically assault someone and then minutes later they get a standing ovation in front of the same people that witnessed the and it's like, like a brain like teaser. how can how could that happen well um,
1: yeah <laughs> you know, i know it's right. like uh,
0: the person that they assaulted was bad no like oh uh you know <laughs> anyway uh, mm-hmm. fuck the oscars fuck will smith fuck everybody chris rock one fucking hour. <laughs> I do. And so um, let's move on. I don't, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. Evan. I don't, I don't want to talk about licorice pizza. It just sucked and it evaporated in my consciousness after okay. watching it. Well, let's, because it's let's, such a nothing burger. But let's just get it in. I'll listen to you.
1: Let's just get it in and I'll cut it out if we want. But I wanted a little bonus chatter. One other grievance I want to just get out. Because It's our Oscar special, guys, for crying out loud. Um, it is. I I, I wanted. this is the only time that we'll ever talk again about this movie and you know one of my favorite episodes of our show one of our favorite hours we've ever done is on one fucking hour on PTA's Magnolia I thought it was a a lot of fun to beat up on that movie Um, absolutely and and so I watched Licorice Pizza you know to kind of continue with tradition here and man um, just I you know and because it was nominated for Best Picture I just wanted to open it up you know
0: for a minute it lost everything
1: it Man, it's just like <laughs> I know Mar- Marcus hasn't seen it, but I, I just want to. <laughs> to me, it's it's like this w- when we talk about the overblown success of an auteur, you know, and somebody who it's like who's you know a- aging and they've just lo- they're lost in the sauce and they forgot how to make a fucking movie, you know. After Rami saw it, she said, "This is like someone who doesn't have the discipline anymore to make something good." This is. It's just now someone who has the license to do whatever the fuck they want, you know, to indulge, to indulge. And movies like this and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think, falls in the same category. When you're watching movies like this, it feels like you're just in a note screening. You're watching the cut of the movie that should not be ready to be to to, to, to be out there yet. You know, this is so like we're, we're all <laughs> we're all stuck hostage in the fucking note screening of our friend's movie that we have to go to, and we're like, how the fuck do I get out of this fucking movie? Because yeah. the thing about licorice Pizza is, let me just <laughs> let me, here we go. Now I'm fucking get, get it down. Get down. Now I'm hot. The movie has it's a coming of age movie, and you know it pays homage to it homage, is. coming of age films. Who? But, her? But, Him? Exactly. (laughs) Well, hang on. I'm just saying that's what it's built to be, and a key ingredient is really, you know, and and a key ingredient that you need in those movies is fucking chemistry and heart. And this movie has none of that between its core characters,
0: and that's vital. I have one. No, no. Amen. Compounding that, Hmm. and uh, is what this is really all I've ever said to you after I saw it. (laughs) That kid is not a character. Oh. He is. The, I, I have the same impression of him, which is not good from the first frame to the last frame. And I'm sorry, Tom's going to get brutal here. OK, I, Tom gets brutal <laughs> um, I, last year. I've had it with the pudgy son of a noted deceased beloved actor. This is the second time this happened
2: you are talking about the sopranos yeah Gan-
0: gandolfini's son was the void in the center of that awful tv you know prequel of uh, the sopranos on hbo it
2: ruined the sopranos for me like i yeah. was like watching it on repeat for like years it was never the want, only now, i don't problem, know if i want to watch but, it again but he just am saying is
0: it's a very simple thing it's like a it's like the most grotesque version of nepotism it's like well we love your dad stand here and say these words you know oh. it's like that's not you need an actor and stuff like and then the same thing more or less happened because the pudgy person in this film that's the void in the center of the film he <laughs> also is Jr. not much of a he's not a character either but he's you know philip seymour hoffman's um um
1: no
0: son and i uh, i would just yeah. watched philip seymour hoffman in something recently and i really enjoyed it i was like god damn he was good Fuck, what was the movie who cares Adams? Just kidding. just kidding no, um, no something else but he, c.m patch No, but he was really good and I really enjoyed him. And uh, and I was like, God, that guy can act up a storm and his son can't. And it's like, why are you doing this to all of us? Why are you doing this to your movie? It's like that guy can't act. But compounding it was that PTA did not give him a character. Again, I'll say this again. I felt the same way uh, from the first frame of seeing that stupid uh, character to the last frame. And the thing I felt is nothing. And yeah. he's not a good actor, but there's no character, there's no development. And he actually seems like kind of a douchebag, but it's not like um, there's not a heat to it. It's not like he's trying to find himself. He's young. He's making mistakes. He's just kind of like a greedy dick who's like, hey, I can make some money, you know, wheeling and dealing this way. And it's like, he's cool.
1: he's, he's like, totally, like, he's he's so false me. and insin- he's false. Help he's, me. Ins- he's insincere and he's not funny at all. So painfully unfunny. Oh. But the thing is, is that you don't buy it for one second that there was any spark or anything sincere between the the two main I characters agree. in the movie. And the movie I is agree. actually supposed to be from his point of view, but yet the movie becomes about it the is? female lead. I know. That's what I'm it, saying. It is? <clears throat> Who well, said that? That's, <laughs> what I, that's what I think he's, that he's lost in the sauce, man. Yeah, I, know. I, I, you know I hear what I'm you. Okay. Um, and, it, it, and, and, it stands to and,
0: reason, but...
1: But when you when you are not successful in that, like when you're unsuccessful in that, it it, it creates that feeling of being waterboarded, which is like what the other movie he did. Uh, what's the other one that I hate? Uh, fuck. Uh,
2: Punch drunk love. Uh, no, all of them. Well,
1: yeah. Uh, no, but like <laughs> the one that's even worse than this. Uh, Punch drunk love.
2: Uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Um, oh shit! The master.
1: No, no, no. Next one. What? Keep going. <laughs> um,
2: uh, uh, I drink your milkshake movie. Uh, <laughs> yes.
1: No, that's. No, no, it is? Oh, okay. Uh, no, no. Wait, with you Phoenix? Yeah, come on! It's there the, will yeah, be blood.
2: The the, he's not the in
1: panakeko, that. The, the the panakeko, uh, you know the uh, the other one where he oh inherent vice, are... inherent vice, yes. Uh,
2: Jesus oh. Christ!
1: Shit! Yeah. I saw yeah. the world premiere <laughs> that. Sorry,
2: inherent oh. vice is. We gotta is... do all these, by the way. I know we really do. He's right. <laughs> Summer PTA. <laughs> yeah. He's
0: right, man. <laughs> so what yeah. he's saying? So, uh, I'm just saying yeah. that inherent vice. That, is, but, is, you know that was based on a real writer's work, though at least I, Thomas
1: Pynchon,
0: or whatever it's worth. I, I'm just saying but it was badly done.
1: Yeah. And, and then God, okay. Last two things. And then we got to get out of here. Uh, Let's get out of here. The fucking Benny softy shit is when that movie dies.
0: You know, you mean the, um, the fifth act, where yeah. I thought, wait, this movie's not over. Yes. <laughs> like, like now yeah. we're having this whole interlude that goes nowhere, and yes, yeah, you know, Safty Brothers shows up. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. for, you're forced to look at one of the Safety Brothers' face in these big, fat close-ups. Uh, yeah. Brutal. So and again, it goes nowhere. Everything, <laughs> everything goes nowhere. Everything yeah. goes. All roads. <laughs> I go don't want to talk about this anymore. It just, uh, it's just okay. not good. You know. Okay. It's just not. It's, it's, just not it's, it's just not any. It's just not anything. I know. It's, so, not, um, anything. it's not anything. All right, let's wrap it up. Let's let's do our due diligence here. And uh,
1: let's uh, let us talk about next week's uh, yeah. film. We're, we're getting back to a, a, a real schedule here, everybody. Yeah. Well, again, we apologize. Every Saturday. We're, boom, 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 boom. we're, we're sorry for the Life make-ups. got in the way. A couple life moments. But we're back. We're doing it. Uh, we're doing it strong. And we're coming in uh, next week with a film I'm very excited to talk about. Um, I, I, I think it's been a while since this movie really has uh, been... Discussed, I'm sure at least for a fucking hour. So I think it's right. going to be interesting um, I know you guys are big on this one, too. So um, Next week everybody get ready get your pre-watch in we are doing one fucking hour on Garden State so get, Garden State. Um,
0: 2004 four? right 2004 so one not to, been a uh, Close yeah. to 20 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean um, It's one of those little movies that no one saw coming and it just cleaned up it just uh became a critic darling and uh i don't think a lot of people had a faith that there would be this really impactful film by the lead from scrubs (laughs) you know (laughs) but uh (laughs) the the guy mustered up an indie darling and uh we're going to talk about um the film and its uh, its cultural impact in a mid-2000s indie film one of the manic
2: pixie dream girl paradise right
1: right 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 <laughs> and one of the emblematic sure. movies of that period you know that mid 2000s in, in the pocket indie you know uh, film festival you know darling film so I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. excited to, to, to just get get back to it and uh, to do that so everybody get your, your watch in for Garden State and we Garden State coming up yep 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 uh, so everybody get that watch in and we will see you next week on one fucking hour but first don't forget your moment of Uh-oh. zen <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, we will see you next bad. week. Have a good rest of your uh, thanks have a for great tuning in. Weekend. Yeah, we went long, Cheers. but we gave you a little bonus, okay, for being so Bye. Long.
2: Okay, everybody.
0: Bonus. Bye.
2: Bonus. Taste that great original New Orleans flavor, served with golden French fries or tasty Cajun rice. Add some crunchy Popeye's onion rings. They're sliced, spiced, and fried just right. Fresh, homemade. Love it. Love that chicken from Popeye.
0: Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs>